0: Uh, I, I want to open up in prayer. I'm going to give a short little introduction to the Paul, report, or, uh, the Paul initiative, which is the ministry that I'm a part of, Matt's a part of, uh, Pastor Michael is a part of, and, uh, and then I'm going to get into uh, the Word of God. I'm going to teach you the Bible. I, 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 re- I, I never get up in front of people without teaching the Bible, no matter what I'm doing. So let's pray. Lord, we give this time to you right now, and I just pray it help me speak clearly. Use this time to challenge us, to refresh us, We thank you right now for the 150 pastors that are in India, Nepal, and Sri Lanka right now that are fasting and praying for this church service right now. And uh, Lord, they're fasting and praying for the people that are in this church, and uh, they're lifting them up in prayer right now. We thank you, God, for the fact that we are partners with the body of Christ around the world, and we are one church. And um, we thank you that we've been called to this great commission, this great task, and, and I pray that you just spark our hearts and stir our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's 150 pastors praying and fasting for you right now. Do you know that? Yeah, they're partners with us. And uh, they're lifting you up. And uh, the whole world is a mission field. Sunshine Coast is a mission field, especially during these dark days. On the plane on Friday, Air Canada flight from Toronto to Vancouver... Shell and I were both on aisle seats, and there was a fellow beside me with his son, and his wife was in front of him with their two daughters. And I, I try to get a conversation going, and uh, you know, you have to wear these masks, and it's terrible. You got to yell at people, it's just so inhibitive, right? Anyways, um, last 40 minutes of the flight, finally, uh, we were able to start talking. And I said, Where are you from? And he says, I'm from Afghanistan. And he says, I've been in Canada 20 days and uh, in Toronto, in isolation with my family. And I said, oh, well, tell me more. And he says, well, 20 days ago, we were in Kabul at the airport. And he says, I I was one of the translators, interpreters, for the Canadian Air Force. And uh, I was also the interpreter, translator, for the CBC News reporter, Bill Gillespie, who was over there sending the reports, if you think back a few years. And so Bill Gillespie, who's a CBC News reporter, got on the phone and opened some doors for him to get out. And he said, yeah, I've been in Canada 20 days. And um, uh, I was at the airport for two days. And they phoned us up. They communicated with us, said, wear red, show up to the airport. So just before the roadblocks went up the next day, they got to the airport. They crawled through that ditch that's around the airport. It's like like a little moat. Have you seen that? Did you see the reports? And it's really a sewage thing. And they climbed through that, and the Canadian Air Force guys rescued them. And so I was trying to share the Lord with them, but it was so hard, you know, uh, w- with everything going on. So I-, I told him I'm a pastor, and I asked him about the church, and-, and we had a really interesting conversation. He showed me all kinds of amazing pictures on the air transport and the Canadian flag and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And finally, uh, you know, I was trying to share the Lord with him there, and finally I gave him a gospel of John. I said, read this. He says, got my address, my phone number, everything on the back. And uh, he said, I am definitely going to communicate. I want to talk to you. Uh, he got my email, my phone number. It was really quite amazing. You know, every opportunity is a divine appointment by the Lord when you pray. And the whole world's a mission field. Do you know that? And God's bringing the mission field to us, but I think we get to go to the mission field. Well, <clears throat> it's nice to be here with Matt and Lisa and uh, so many folks that I do know uh, from being here for a number of years. And uh, For years, the Lord has been challenging me to fulfill the Great Commission. Matthew 28 Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel. And so here in Canada, uh, I've made it my mission to get people and pastors involved in discipleship, in evangelism, in church planting. Uh, I've encouraged people to, you know, pastors to teach the Bible verse by verse, which is a good place to start doing discipleship, right? It's a good disciple making method. And uh, it's kind of how Calvary Chapel Sunshine Coast got started. CTK got involved and connected. And uh, also, you know, things like the 27, all these different discipleship uh, materials that we have. Well, then, you know, we moved away seven years. After 15 years at this church, we moved away seven years ago, and we started a church in London. And, uh, you know, very involved, amazing what's going on there, very cool stuff, very difficult, but the Lord has blessed the church in the last 18 months. Uh, when the pandemic first happened, uh, we had to do... Nobody would rent to us, so we just did church out in a parking lot for uh, 16 weeks. Rain or shine. We just stood out there in a parking lot, and one Sunday, it rained so hard, I couldn't see through my glasses. I couldn't turn the pages of my Bible. Couldn't, I couldn't even turn the uh, pages of my notes. And um, um, you can actually look on Facebook, on the Calvary Chapel Sunshine Coast Facebook page. The sermon is still up there, the whole service. And uh, I said, one day we're going to laugh about this in heaven. And then one of the guys came in to me afterwards and said, uh, we were laughing right now, actually. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, when we were here, uh, I was very involved in wanting to see the Great Commission fulfilled. And so we, had, uh, we were involved with GFA, Gospel for Asia. You guys remember that? Have you heard of that? All right. And very connected with Calvary Chapel. It was the largest missions organization in India. Um, and and really under the auspices of Calvary Chapel in a certain way. And of course, they kind of broke away and kind of went sideways with the leader. But a whole bunch of guys left GFA, and they're very evangelical and Bible-based, and they want to see the work continue. And an interesting thing happened was there are 12 bishops that run that massive organization in India called GFA, and there's like basically at the time there was about Thirty thousand churches and preaching points so it's massive in India the 1040 window well what's interesting is one of the bishops broke away and he says I just want to teach the Bible I don't want to get into all this other stuff and um, he jumped on a plane all the way scraped together some money jumped on a plane and left India and came to London Ontario because his sister lived there can you believe that and he looked around and tried to meet with other leaders. Nobody wanted to meet with him. And then, and I could tell you this another crazy story about how I met this guy. But we ended up meeting each other, and I ended up meeting him for 10 days at Tim Hortons and taking him through discipleship materials and showing what we're doing with pastors already. And he's just so excited. And as a result, uh, out of the 12 bishops that were leading that organization who wanted to sort of get things back more biblical, Three of them are broken away, and, uh, you know, we've got like 150 guys right now, but there's literally, when I say thousands of pastors out there that are looking to get help and partner with Bible-teaching churches. I'm not exaggerating. Well, anyways, long story short is um, these guys over there, you you think it's tough here with some of the stuff the government's imposing on us? Think of what it's like right now in India and Sri Lanka and Nepal. These guys uh, are lucky to have rice to put together uh, on the table for their family. Uh, one of the guys we work with in Myanmar, they just had a military coup. Have you heard of that? What's going on? Yeah, I get reports from him all the time. I hear gunshots when I'm talking to him. Uh, there, at least a few months ago when it was happening, uh, piles of dead bodies. I, get st- I see all the stuff that's going on, firsthand reports. And it's very difficult in a lot of these countries for Christians. In Bangladesh, one of the most Muslim countries in the world, another fellow that we work with, you know, he has to ask permission from all his Muslim neighbors in order to hold church services. You know, think about that, having to ask permission from all your Muslim neighbors. And if one of them says no, you can't do it. Pretty crazy, the world that's out there. Well, anyways, we've been going over and we've been... Uh, training pastors, raising up leaders, and God's been doing some pretty crazy stuff. And uh, whether it's the mountain village churches in Nepal, literally like villages in mountains where there's a church. And I took Matt there with me one time, and we met some of those guys. Or in Kathmandu, the capital, whether it's the mega city of New Delhi where you get off and your uh, weather app says, it doesn't say cloudy, it just says smoke, all right? It says smoke right on the weather app. Uh, whether it's the slums in, in India, whether it's the island nation of uh, Sri Lanka or Bangladesh or the orphanage in Kenya that I took Matt with me to uh, another time, uh, the military crew in Myanmar, all these different pastors that we're working with. And, and in the last 18 months, uh, we've been meeting with these guys weekly on Zoom, and so I, I teach, like, on a Monday morning, I, I mentor the three bishops. On a Tuesday morning, I'm teaching India. On a Wednesday morning, I'm teaching Sri Lanka. And on a Friday morning, I'm teaching in Nepal for an hour each time. And uh, it's really exciting what God is doing, and uh, God's working uh, in these countries. So here's the thing. Um, you know, the Lord just sort of put it on my heart lately. You know, there are actually some of them are starting to look skinny, <laughs> you know what i mean i mean they, they're starting to look thinner uh and 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 i started and started asking you know how how are things and you know they said you know even just 30 bucks 35 bucks a month for a couple of bags of rice would change everything for their family and so uh, i've kind of made it my thing and i've talked to matt michael some other guys and said look you know what i'm going to start supporting i started a few months ago with just like six pastors who were desperate um and uh, I started sending money over from the church, and then we started sponsoring other guys, and now we've got about 28 people that are sponsored out of the 150. And, uh, you know, for like 35 bucks a month, it's pretty exciting how you can just help these guys. I found out yesterday two guys, they couldn't handle it anymore, and they, they've, they've kind of left the ministry. Not not left the ministry, but they, they had to go find jobs in the city because they just couldn't handle it anymore. They had to go get any kind of job that they could get. And, you know, I mean... Uh, you know, we pray for these guys. They're praying for us. And so uh, we, we, we kind of set up a little missions table here afterwards if you want to help sponsor some of these guys for 35 bucks a month for, you know, a year or whatever it is, uh, as the Lord leads you. So that's kind of the missions pitch I'm, I'm, I'm putting to you this morning. And, and we're involved in an orphanage uh, very much so, and Matt's a part of that too. And so we have some uh, children there as, as well. You know, sometimes I feel, um, I kind of feel like a little speck of dust Living on a grain of sand, as far as what I think I can do. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, and the Lord sort of started doing all this when I was planting a church with nobody in London. I mean, we went there and there was there was no team, there was no budget. Kind of like here when we started a church, you know, with three people and you know, it's a couple hundred people and you know. Lord, why couldn't you put this idea of a missions organization or something when I had a couple hundred people and a nice budget, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you know what I mean? And so, uh, here we are in this church plant, and God has blessed it, you know? I mean, it's exciting to see what's going on there. But I feel like like that little boy that had the two small fish and the five barley loaves. Remember the story in the Gospel of John? And they had 5,000 people to feed. And... My prayer for the last seven years is, Lord, just take my little feeble efforts and multiply them because you have miracle power to do that. Amen? And that's, Lord, I feel like the little boy with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread, and that's it. I'm asking you to multiply this because only you can make this work. And so, like I say, I feel like that little speck of dust, so insignificant. But somehow, way, God uses us, and God can multiply our efforts many times ever over. So I, I put that little challenge out to you this morning. So are you ready to get into the Word? All right, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I think I've already prayed. So let's get into the Word, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We might put the verses up here. That's good. And so 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to talk a little bit about one particular area of discipleship. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you keep up on the news and what goes on in the Christian church in North America, I'm sure you've heard of some of the scandals that have been going on over the last few years. And it's been said that the three areas where Christians are tempted most is sex, silver, and sloth. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Sex, silver, and sloth. And it seems a good number of Christians and Christian leaders have been giving in to the temptations of non-marital sex and the scandalous use of money. But what is even more unfortunate is when the secular news media picks up on this stuff and they broadcast it and they make our disgrace even more well-known. But there's even something bigger than... um the sex scandals, and the money scandals that you hear about. I believe there's an, a bigger problem. It's a greater sin that the media has not picked up on, and it's the temptation that we all face every single day, every single one of us, that of daily sloth. Okay? Daily sloth. Now, there is an animal called the sloth. Do I have those pictures? All right? All right. Do we have those pictures? You got, have you ever seen a sloth? <clears throat> have you ever seen a sloth move before? Man, I tell you, it's got these hook-like things that they hang from the trees, and they move ever so slowly. They move, like, they move so incredibly slow, you, it looks like it's lazy. And you wonder how in the world these things could survive in the wild without getting picked off. I mean, you're just looking at it, makes you tired. I mean, looking at it, they're just lazy looking, and they got these hooks, and how in the world does this thing survive? Spiritual laziness, spiritual sloth, is what we all contend with on a regular basis. Every single one of us. Every morning, I wake up, my flesh doesn't want to do anything spiritual my flesh doesn't want to read the Word of God. My flesh doesn't want to pray. My flesh doesn't want to go to church, and I'm the pastor. My flesh doesn't want to witness to non-Christians. And every single morning, my, I have a battle with my flesh. And Paul, here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, challenged young Timothy, his protege, and uh, he, he, he challenges him with a metaphor of being an athlete, a spiritual athlete. Now, there's... In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, there's a a number of metaphors. One's an athletic metaphor. Another one is a farming metaphor. Another one is a military, soldier, navy metaphor. Another one is a medical metaphor. In fact, sometimes it's hidden because of the English translation. But, like, for example, in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul talks, he uses the phrase sound doctrine. Take a look there. Underline that word, sound doctrine. That word sound is the Greek word... Hugiamo, and that we get our word hygiene from it, all right? And it's used eight times in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd, Timothy, and Titus. And Paul says it's important for us to be teaching and eating, feasting on sound doctrine. Hugiamo, hygienic, healthy doctrine, because that produces healthy Christians. And there was a problem in the church that Timothy had been sent to. Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. You may not, have know, you may not know this, but First and Second Timothy is really like First Ephesians and Second Ephesians, if you didn't know that. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 20, one time Paul is on a missionary journey and is on his way to Jerusalem, and he doesn't want to slow down, and he doesn't want to stop off in Ephesus, so he's on the Aegean seashore, the Mediterranean Sea, and, and he sends word to the Ephesian elders to come and meet him. On the water. And so they come and meet him and he prays with them and he meets them in Acts chapter 20. And then he gives a word of prophecy. And he says, be shepherds of the flock because men will rise up amongst you who will teach false doctrine and they will be like ravenous wolves tearing away at the sheep. And you can read that prophecy in Acts chapter 20. Well, it's interesting, prophecy fulfilled. Because First and Second Timothy is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Acts chapter 20. And so Paul sent Timothy to deal with the false teachers. And he challenges Timothy. And he says, Timothy, um, teach sound doctrine, hygienic doctrine, if you will. And he says, Timothy, young Timothy, be as serious, be as committed, be as disciplined in the Christian life as an athlete is in training himself in sports. And so really you could say this chapter has the language of a spiritual athlete, and I'm going to point some words out to you as we go through this chapter. In fact, jump down real quick, and we're going to teach on it when we get to it, but uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verses 7 and 8. And these are good verses to underline. He says in verse 7, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So, you know, Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. That word train that you see there in verse 7 and in verse 8 is basically the Greek word gymnasia. Now, does that sound like a word to you? What word do you think it sounds like? It sounds like gym. Of course, that's right we get our English word gymnasium from that. And so that's a a good word to underline there. But that word train means is is gymnasia. And so the chapter is filled with athletic words. And the first six verses of chapter four that we're going to go through this morning uh, is really, he's talking about food. It's crazy. It's like, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, the first six verses, he talks about food, physical food. And the the doctrine that the false teachers were pushing concerning physical food, but then Paul turns it around, and he speaks about how doctrine, healthy doctrine, is itself a type of food, a healthy spiritual food. So, are you following with me so far, folks? Okay, it's important because if you get this this morning, you'll look at First and Second Timothy in a totally different way after this message. I hope. All right, so Paul starts off in verse 1 with some very sobering words. Chapter 4, verse 1, and I think the verses are up behind us here. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. <clears throat> some will abandon the faith. The word abandon there, uh, we would get our English word apostasize from that word abandon. Some will abandon. They will apostatize from the faith. And the word abandon or depart, it means to fall away from. It literally means someone who moves from an originally held position and they move away from that position. So you hold the position, something you believe, and then you move away from it. And as Paul wrote these words, I'm sure that he had in mind two specific individuals by the name of Alexander and Hymenaeus. He mentions them in chapter 1, verse 20. You can flip to it and take a look and underline their names. But these two guys, these two troublemakers were causing him a lot of grief, man. And uh, he says, he, he mentions, he point, just says their name, Alexander and Hymenaeus. And literally, he says in the verses around that verse, he says they have shipwrecked their faith on the rocks. They had faith, but now it's shipwrecked. And now they're causing trouble for other people. Now, you know, you may not know this about me, but probably about uh, 12 years ago, I uh, had the desire to really get in shape, like physical shape, you know, go to the gym there and seashell every, you know, three, four times a week. And, you know, I just, it was this realization. One morning I got up and I looked in the mirror and I basically, well, I look like I look now, but <laughs> but what happened, I really, like, I really got into shape. I mean, you know, I was... I was, before that, I was eating poorly. I wasn't exercising. I was 30, 40 pounds overweight. And uh, then I started to go in, and uh, for two or three years, I would go in like three, four times a week. Actually, I'd go with my uh, buddy here, John McKenzie, uh, and uh, he's here this morning. And uh, we would uh, work out together like at 6 o'clock in the morning. We were, so, we were so committed, we even hired a trainer. It was a woman trainer, you know, but you know what? It you know it was she got us into shape within the first six weeks. I mean not in six weeks, but it really you know started to train us how to use weights and all these kinds of things. And it was really pretty pretty amazing because I started to actually lose weight. I was in the best shape of my life. I mean, I mean I looked good. My clo- I, I was going from a forty to a thirty eight to a thirty six. You know what these numbers mean, right? Okay, I got to a thirty four, man. <clears throat> And then I, start, I went shopping one time with Cheryl, and I was looking at the 32, and I bought a pair of 32 jeans. I couldn't fit into them, man, but, but I bought them. I still have them, but I... And one day, one day, God willing. But then what happened about, oh, about eight years ago? We got in a car accident here on uh, the infamous Sunshine Coast Highway, and, you know, kind of messed up my hip, and that's a whole other story. But then I got off my discipline, and I stopped going to the gym, and then I start, started eating poorly again, and, uh, you know, I put on an extra five pounds, as you can tell. And you know what I'm saying, right? And so here's the thing. I was holding to a position, but then I moved away from it. You know, here, you're, you're in great shape, and then you move away from it. You fall away from it. And that's what he's talking about here in a spiritual way. And by the time we get to the end of the chapter, chapter 4, the very last verse, verse 16, Paul will say things like, watch your life and your doctrine closely. He'll say things in verse 16 like, persevere, athletic language, persevere in them. Watch your doctrine, watch the discipline in your life closely. So right here in verse 1, let's just get back to the text. Paul here says, you know, people are going to be deceived by deceiving spirits, and things taught by doctrines. And then he goes on to describe the spiritual diet of these false teachers in Ephesus. Verse 2, he says, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So Paul here uses another medical term. He says their consciences have been seared It's a medical term that they would have used back then. Uh, If you could see these original words in the Greek, you would see that word seared would look like in the Greek, our English word cauterize. Now, do you know what it is to cauterize something? To cauterize something is where you, 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 you burn the skin or the flesh with a heated instrument and it stops a wound from bleeding or it, you know, stops it from being infected. You've seen the movies, you know, the war movies. Somebody gets wounded. They heat up a knife on a fire. They put it on. The guy screams. And then the next scene, a minute later, he's fine, right? That's, that's, that's kind of the, the idea of it. Well, what's interesting is when you cauterize something like this, it leaves scar tissue. And if you know, I mean, the scar tissue, it's thicker and it's lost some of its sensitivity. And he says these false teachers have seared their consciences. They have lost spiritual sensitivity. And so um, they were so convinced that they were right. When I talk to people who are involved in cults or false teaching, I get talking to them, and they are absolutely convinced that they are right. I, I do street witnessing often in our park downtown in London, Ontario, called Victoria Park. And uh, the Mormons are down there every now and then. And I, I, I like mixing it up with the Mormons. I mean, it doesn't go anywhere sometimes, but this one particular time, this one young guy, man, he was so zealous. And he looked at me and he says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I'm talking about in the Book of Mormon is absolutely right because the Holy Spirit had a burning sensation in my heart. And I looked at him, and I took him to Galatians chapter 1, and I showed him chapter 1 where it says, if Paul says, if me or if I or an angel from heaven preaches a different gospel, let him be anathema, eternally accursed. And then I started sharing with him how the Book of Mormon was revealed by a, an angel, but an angel of light, a dark angel. And we got into it, and, and he was so convinced, and, and it was interesting. I, I just finally came to the point where I said, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. But you're, ser- you're, so, you're so seared, you're, you, can't even, you won't even listen. Have you ever met someone like that? Have you ever talked to somebody like that? They're so convinced they're right. They're so convinced they're right, and they won't listen. Well, anyways, their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. Moving on in verse 3, They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now down through uh, the history of Christianity, there's been all sorts of false teaching. In the first century, one of the biggest uh, challenges was that of the Judaizers. Those who were in the church, who basically forbade people from eating foods forbidden in the Old Testament law, and they demanded that the Gentiles start living like Jews. They were to get circumcised and, 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 and follow certain feasts and all these sorts of things. And you had to be Jewish before you could become Christian. That actually is starting to resurface nowadays in something called the Hebrew Roots Movement. Have you heard of that? The Hebrew, You know, funny enough, you don't hear much about it here on the Sunshine Coast because I think you've got two strong Bible teaching churches. I have never come across more false teaching and weird stuff than when I went to London, Ontario seven years ago. I, I wondered why God was calling me there. But, you know, and, and don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you love the King James, I love the King James. But I've never met more King James only. I've never met more flat earthers in my life. I've never met more Hebrew roots movement people in my life. You can't walk out, okay, if you're one of those folks right now. You have to wait. <clears throat> I love you. God bless you. But, you know, and it's it's like all they ever talk about. I'll talk more about that in a second, all right? But, you see these things circling through the church. And so Paul, once again, he laid out a theology for food, like physical food, believe it or not. He lays out a theology here in these verses about physical food. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be received if it was received with thanksgiving, because, God, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So really the struggle in the early church was with legalism, you know, trying to justify yourself through the law, trying to climb a ladder of rules and regulations to try and please God. And you have to work to earn God's favor. And in Ephesus, not just legalism, but also something called asceticism. Asceticism is is a form of severe self-discipline that saw certain foods as evil, and saw marriage as something that was not good and holy. And so back then, you know, these teachings, they looked really spiritual. And you know, the, the people who push these teachings nowadays, different types of teachings, it, they, it, they think it's so spiritual, and they have a spiritual elitism about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they're, they're just so convinced, and they look down on you. Well, <clears throat> they look devout, they look holy, but Paul basically calls their teaching... Junk food. You know what junk food is? Do you like junk food? Like potato chips and uh, salted caramel, popcorn, and Coca-Cola. Oh, not Coca-Cola. I'm protesting Coca-Cola, but Pepsi, you know. You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, there's all these different, and they're just so good. They taste, they just taste wonderful, but they're unhealthy for you. Well, there is spiritual junk food out there that's floating around. And Paul here says, while well, talking about physical food, he says in these verses, listen, all food is good. Bacon is good. Shrimp is good. Ham is good. Amen? I mean, all these things are good. Thank God. Marriage is good. <clears throat> God created all these things. And then he goes on in verse 6, after developing some of this theology of food, physical food, he says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Now, the NIV here, this is the old NIV, uh, says, brought up in the truths of the faith. Now, the good old King James, it says, nourished in the truths of the faith. Nourished. And that's the idea that's used to you. You've been brought up, you've been nourished in these truths, talking about spiritual food. And the false teachers, they had all these teachings about food. Uh, don't touch this, eat that, don't eat that. But Paul was basically saying, look, Timothy, theologically theologically speaking, there's good healthy food, and theologically, there's junk food. And if you want to be a good spiritual athlete, you have to watch your diet carefully. And so, uh, you know, an athlete, how many of you here watched the Olympics in uh, Japan there just a couple months ago? Was it Japan? I I forget already how long. Yeah, come on, really? Like on TV, the Olympics? Is that right? like six people watched the Olympics on TV. How many watched the Olympics in 2010 when it was in Whistler? Raise your hand. I never watched so much curling in my life before. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, we were going to buy tickets like in 2008 when in the, whenever it was announced. We said, yeah, we're going to buy tickets. And then it came and it was like the tickets were 500 bucks each. So we went and bought a TV set with the money, and we watched curling for like a week and a half. Anyways, an athlete eats the right foods. He's careful. An Olympic athlete, he's very careful about what his diet consists of. He, he eats vitamins, and he avoids liquor, he avoids drugs, he avoids steroids, uh, unless he's Russian, and uh, especially, especially junk food. He avoids junk food. Russian, you know about the Russian Federation being bad. Okay, good, all right. So, uh, the Christian is to be nourished and brought up in the truths of the faith, verse 6. That's your spiritual food. Now, interestingly, back in uh, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9, uh, Paul tells leaders, leaders are to hold on to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Hold on to these truths with a clear conscience. And until you are nourished in the word of God, until you learn how to hold on to these truths of the faith, it's really difficult to, to combat all the false teaching that's out there. All right? And that's what I'm hoping you will learn here over the years of attending this church, and you will, is to be nourished on the truths and then get a hold of them. Not just know about them, but to really get a hold of them in your life. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2, Desire, crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. Crave it. You know what it is to crave something? Any ex-smokers here? I'm an ex-smoker. I gave it up when I got saved at the age of 16. And it was one of the hardest things I ever did. It took me three or four tries, man. First, first th- time I, I, I tried to quit smoking, I took the, the cigarettes, I crunched them all up, and I threw them down the toilet. And the next morning I woke up, and I, I was looking for those cigarette butts. They're all squished up, and I was smoke trying to smoke like a week-old cigarettes. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe not. No one's okay. All right. <clears throat> you know what's to crave? I mean, to crave something, to desire The Word of God. Well, the problem in Ephesus was that the people were feeding on spiritual junk food. Godless myths. And old wives' tales, I think it says. I guess we're not putting the verses. Oh, they are. Okay, good. Godless myths and old wives' tales. And so, uh, these first six six verses this morning are really about the doctrine of um, good, um, of good and bad doctrine, actually. And the false teachers had false teaching about physical food itself, and yet Paul takes that and uh, he says, hey, the, the doctrine itself is like food, and you get nourished on it. And so be very careful about what you eat. Be very careful about what you sink your teeth into. Be, be, be very careful about when people tell you stuff, what you're willing to accept. Verses 7 and 8, which we previously read, it says, have nothing to do... With godless myths and old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some, um, some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, in the NIV, it says godless myths and old wives' tales. Old wives' tales, the, the, the thinking there is it's the, the kind of stories that older ladies would tell to little children like fairy tales. And that's what he means by godless myths and old wise tales. Now, if you were to visit the ruins of Ephesus, and, and, and we did about, I think about nine years ago, we, took a, we did a book of Revelation, seven churches of Revelation, and uh, footsteps of Paul through Greece and Turkey. And we went to Ephesus. And when you go to Ephesus, which is where Timothy was stationed, uh, you can go stand in two of the different gymnasiums that are there. And I went and I, I stood in the actual gymnasiums. I actually brought a rock back. I'm not sure if you're allowed to do that, but I brought a rock back from one of the gymnasiums that uh, Timothy would have been in or walked by every day. And think about this, guys. You know, uh, Timothy would have walked past these, uh, these gymnasiums every single day because one was at one end and one was at the other end of the major uh, street there. And every single day, he would have looked at those gymnasiums, and he would have been reminded of Paul's words here in verses 7 and 8. Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Timothy, train yourself. Gymnasia, train yourself to be godly. Discipline yourself to be godly. And so, Timothy, you are in God's gymnasium. Timothy, the Christian life is like being a spiritual athlete. And you know what, guys? When you come to church, this is God's gymnasium. Did you know that? Yeah. And this is, this is like one of the exercise machines. How many here go to the gym once in a while or all the time? Okay. Well, I'm preaching not to the choir, apparently. Okay. So, here we are. so here's the thing. I mean, you know, it really is something when you go to the gym. I mean, it's kind of intimidating. You see all these, you know, iron-pumping steroid monkeys in there, and they're all buffed up. And you go in there, and it's intimidating seeing all this stuff. But if you keep going, you keep going. It's amazing what will happen in you. I would suggest to you that the main disciplines of being in the Word and prayer and fellowship and witness are four core disciplines. Have you heard those before in some of your discipleship groups? Sounds like the picture of a wheel with Christ the center. All right, Have you seen that picture? Christ the center, obedience to Christ the rim, The four spokes, the word, the bottom spoke, the upper spoke is prayer, and then fellowship and witness. I would say that's the ultimate spiritual six-pack, if you know what I mean. All right? That is really, you know, something for us to focus on as believers. And so in order to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to have, I think, a proper grace-based discipline within our lives. And I think that is what Paul is hitting at here. Train yourself to be godly, guys. Take it uh, with a seriousness, with a commitment. Uh, Look at the athletes. Look at the Olympic athletes. They apply themselves four, five, six years before they even get there. And and nobody sees what they're going, going through and how they invest themselves in it. Be like that athlete. And don't get sucked in and tripped over, tripped up by the junk food that's out there. And so the number one rule, I would say, is diet is everything. And so verses 1 to 6, be nourished by the truths of the faith. Be nourished by the truths of the faith. Okay, so let's continue on, continue on in verse, uh, I'm going to read verse 8 here. All right, it says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding both promise for the present life and the life to come. Physical training does have some value in this life, but godly training holds promise for this life and for all eternity. And the payoff is out of this world. So much of our society is concerned about the development of the body, developing the physical body and keeping it healthy. And for the most part, there's, you know, there's little concern about the development of the soul in our society. And when they do talk about it in a New Age sense or whatever it is, the last place they would ever think, is to find that in the church. And that's unfortunate because there's so much of it here in the Bible. And so um, I think that's partly because the church doesn't talk about discipleship anymore. And we need to have a, um, a discipleship gospel. Not just believe in Jesus, but start following him. So important. We don't talk about the spiritual disciplines, and I think we need to. Let's, let's continue on. Verses 9 and 10. Have your Bibles open because we're going to go through the rest of the chapter here. It says, this is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance, or a faithful saying and deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive that we put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially those who believe. Now, um, I was kind of torn this morning about whether I preached this message or I preached my uh, message on what's called the five faithful sayings in the pastoral epistles because it is amazing. And next, maybe next time when I come back, I will talk on the five Faithful sayings in the pastoral epistles. But this is the third trustworthy saying. It's like a creedal statement that the Christians were to always repeat, all right, and remember, and focus on as a church. And we've lost it. Uh, when I talk about this to Christians nowadays, they, they go, what, what do you mean the five faithful sayings? I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and we just don't talk about it. We don't teach on it. It's a mystery to people. But this is the third one here. And there's some debate here. Um, about whether it's the verses before, this is a trustworthy saying, or it's the verses after. And a lot of scholarship says, well, it's the verses previous where it says, train yourself to be godly. But then it goes on after verse 8, uh, into verses 9 and 10, and, and uh, it says basically, you know, uh, be, you know, train yourself to be godly because you've been saved. Jesus saved you. God is the Savior of all men. He's the Savior of all men. Not some men like some people teach. He's the Savior of all men, but especially to those who believe because they've made it their own. They've, they've, they've claimed it as their own. They've, they've entered into it. They, they are the saved. And then there's people who aren't saved, but God is still their Savior, and he's offering their salvation. And he says here, this deserves full acceptance. This is something we should be promoting all the time within our churches. No asterisks, no uh, footnotes, no qualification. You know, this is what it really means. But look what he says here in verse 9 and 10. There's two really interesting words. He says, we labor for this. Do you see it there? He might use different words in different translations. And we strive for this. We labor and we strive. And the idea here is we exhaust ourselves over this saying. We exhaust ourselves. Jesus came to save people. And uh, they need, once you're saved, you need to start becoming like Jesus, discipleship. And he says, we strive, we agonize. Actually, the word that's used here is the word agonizo. Sound like another English word? Agonize. We agonize. And I have to tell you, these are one of the verses that really challenged me years ago, being in the ministry. The Lord said, you know, Ed, are you really agonizing? Are you really laboring? Are you really exhausting yourself? Not burning yourself out. But are you just putting everything on the altar for the Lord? Or are you kind of being spiritually lazy? You see, Jesus came to save you. Why? So you could train yourself to be godly, to become like Jesus. And this is a very power, challenging verse for me personally. You know, he says, I, I agonize in this. I, I strive. Athletic language, he says here. And so, you know, I think this is maybe some of the differences between New Testament preaching and modern-day preaching. Uh, They preach salvation, but they also preach discipleship. And I know Pastor Matt emphasizes discipleship here in this church, which is good. And here's the thing. Salvation is free. Thank the Lord. Amen? But discipleship is going to cost you absolutely everything. Everything that you have and everything that you are. And Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the closer you get to following him, the more he's going to start involving you in ways you could never imagine, even just getting on a plane and sitting down beside him. He's going to interrupt your schedules, your plans, your hopes, in a good way, in a good way, in an exciting way. I think some of the reasons why Christians are so bored with church is because we're not trying to fulfill the Great Commission. We've kind of like, you know, give it a little bit of lip service, but we're not really enrolled in it. All right, verses 11 and 12. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So back then, if you were under the age of 40, you were considered a young man. And uh, Timothy was considered a young man, and the false teachers would have thrown that over him. They would have Uh, would have held that over him. They would have thrown that at him. And Paul says, nope, don't let these people do it. Don't let them do it, Timothy. Challenge it right then and there. Tell them, knock it off. God's called me. I have a calling. And then he says, be an example. Now, verse 13, and look at the language here. And you can underline these words because it's pretty, pretty cool. It says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So training as an athlete means devotion. Devote yourself. Strong word. Verse 14. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Do not neglect your gift. Back when I was in high school a number of years ago, um, I made it onto the basketball, high, the high school basketball team and the high school volleyball team. I wasn't, you know one of their first string players but I was on the team and I enjoyed it and uh, you know it was a good experience for me and one of my best friends was on the team as well and he was like one of the stars and he had a gift he was genetically designed to be an athlete that guy could run for miles do you remember the um do you remember that participation thing that all the schools did and they gave you the bronze, the silver, um, the gold, and then the Award of Excellence, which was, you know, had all three colors. Do you remember that? You remember that? You know, I had the Award of Excellence, but only because I stole it from the gym teacher's office. Sorry. <laughs> but I remember doing these long, long jogs, and my lungs burning, like burning. And then we'd finish, and I almost collapse, and he would... He was already finished, way ahead of me, and his body had recovered like that. I mean, he was talking. I mean, he could go run another one. And and, uh, he would be on these teams, and he was four steps ahead of me and everybody else on the rest of the team. But here's the thing. Uh, He got into the partying scene, started smoking, started drinking alcohol, and still being on all the sports teams, and way better than all of us still. And here's the interesting thing, is because of his laziness, Because of his indifference, because he was neglecting his gift, he never excelled beyond what he was. And there are people nowadays who have abilities to be great for God. And there's people here this morning. You have abilities, you have gifts, you have talents. And because we neglect them, they never go beyond where they are now. Do not neglect the gifts that God has given you. And then he goes on in verse 15, and look what it says. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Be diligent. Give yourself wholly to them. Let everyone see your progress. Okay, verse 16, we're going to finish up. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. You know, training involves self-examination. You're always measuring yourself or weighing yourself or writing down times and best times and speeds. And an athlete has to he has to watch his health and he's always charting his progress. And so there's some real challenges here in this chapter. Um, Olympic athletes, they labor and strive. And what's the ultimate dream for all of them? What is it, guys? It's to have that gold medal hang around their necks. We as Christians will one day receive golden crowns in heaven. And that's, I think that's actually going to happen. Athletes want the world to see the gold medals hanging around their necks. Believers cast their crowns and their achievements at the feet of the Lord. Earthly rewards are for a short season. Heavenly rewards have benefit now and for all eternity. And your race is not against the person sitting in the chair beside you or in front of you or behind you, not against any of your brothers or sisters. Your race is against yourself. God doesn't measure you against your brothers and sisters. He measures you really kind of against yourself and against his word. What have you done with the talents he's given you? Have you buried them in the ground? What is your talent doing right now? You know, instead of coming in first, we're to come in the best that God is calling us to. And for all of us, you know, this goal is something that we can all reach for. And so uh, there's a natural tendency for every single one of us to want to be spiritually lazy at times. Saturday morning, you wake up, oh, I don't need to do my devotions. It's the weekend, or whatever it may be. And again, you know, God says, well... Paul says to Timothy but it's really God Timothy you're in God's gymnasium. And like I say every morning my flesh doesn't want to do anything spiritual. It doesn't want to read the word, it doesn't want to pray. It doesn't want to evangelize, it doesn't want to come to church, doesn't want to give to God's work. My every day is a spiritual struggle with my own flesh the enemy within, the enemy behind the lines. And so here, my challenge this morning is this and simple and I'm done. Make your life count for the Lord. Examine yourself. Ask the Lord to show you where your blind spots are. If you pray that prayer, it's a dangerous prayer. Lord, show me my blind spots. (laughs) You're going to have quite the week you pray that prayer. (laughs) God will show you some blind spots about how you can be involved in evangelism, discipleship, the Great Commission, serving the Lord, making your life count for eternity, not just now, but for all eternity as well. So, uh, anyways, I've taken up the time. I don't even know what time it is here, but uh, it's been a delight to share with you guys this morning Uh, my prayer. um, And the prayer of the guys that Matt and I work with overseas is that you would partner with us in the gospel and praying for these guys. Uh, We've got pictures and guys that you can sponsor, and they'll pray for you every day, and you can pray for them. And uh, we're not some big fancy mission organization, believe me, guys. It was a challenge just to print pictures off for us, Okay. (laughs) But, uh, you know, um, this is a way to really help people, brothers and sisters, who are really making a difference for the Lord. Uh, They're praying and fasting for you today. Are you praying and fasting for them? (laughs) Think about it, all right? This is an exciting way for us to become spiritual athletes. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray right now for everybody here at CTK in this church service. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful fellowship and the leadership that's in this church. I ask you, Lord, to bless them, pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, Lord, I pray that they would be a bright and shining light for years and decades to come. I pray, Lord, that this place would make waves for eternity. And so, Lord, we believe in the name of Jesus Christ that this would be a center for the Great Commission of making disciples here and around the world. Lord, every single one of us is like that little boy who's got two fish, and a couple of loaves, and it seems like we got nothing. We're like a speck of dust on it, living on a grain of sand. And what can we possibly do to make a difference? But Lord, we pray you would multiply our efforts many times over. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.